0: This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast, and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. We want to welcome our online listeners today, and we appreciate you joining us wherever you are located. Today's message is called The Marriage of Law and Grace. There are two very, very powerful diagrams that you're going to want to get your hands on. And if you remember correctly, you can get those uh, PDFs by logging on to our website. That is heartlandfellowships.org. So the marriage of law and grace. We need to take a look at a few scriptures. Galatians. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 21. It says this, For through the law I died to the law. And you're going to have to really think these different pieces through. I will try to explain as much of it as possible. But just the phrase I just mentioned to you is beyond a paradox. In fact, it sounds like hypocrisy. For through the law, I died to the law. The whole emphasis of what we're going to be talking about the next several weeks is dying, death. So it's actually through the laws of God that we die. So that I might live. You can't really begin to live and experience life until you're dead. So we've got to talk about this death. We've got to talk about what does that really mean. One of the most powerful directives in the entire Bible is about co-crucifixion with Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. When I came to be discipled by Dr. Charles Solomon with Grace Fellowship, he introduced me to this passage that I have read to you this morning. And he began to share with me this truth of what it means to die through the law. For through the law I actually get to embrace the cross. Take my last breath and die. And I asked him, I said, why, why didn't they tell me this at the moment of my salvation? And he said, very, very few preachers do They put an emphasis on one side of the cross and they don't tell you the rest of the story. So thus you have to live the majority of your life through performance, which is covert rebellion. Now that just blew my mind. We being co-crucified with Christ are on that cross at the moment of salvation we have been crucified with christ and in order for christ to actually come and live inside the mortal body this truth has to be appropriated without question okay let's talk about the balance between law and grace and for our online listeners this is the time that you you pull up that diagram because you need to see the arrows that are pointed toward law and the arrows that are pointed toward grace and the intensity and what results if a person decides to live in any one of these quadrants so here's what we have as we have this cross we have at the top high grace and at the bottom we have low grace to the left we have low law meaning not much law. And over to the right we have high law, which is intense law. Now, the victorious Christian is high grace and is high law. What you're going to find out here in a couple moments is the way the emergent church was birthed, the church of Laodicea was birthed, in this particular postmodern society that we live in today and by the way could someone please give me a dictionary's definition of postmodern modern is the is the picture of these buildings behind you on the wall it's not real accurate picture representation of a city but it is a modern view of a picture of a city. That's modernism. Postmodernism is different. You have to speak to the author to figure out what the picture is. Postmodernism is classified in Webster's dictionary as pointless art. There's no point, there's no destination. The ends are left, the buildings are. Designed in kind of a funky way, but they really don't take you anywhere. And that's postmodernism. The postmodern church is a church that doesn't really take you anywhere. It's pointless. There's a lot of music, there's a lot of laughter, there's a lot of fellowship, there's a lot of eating, there's a lot of coffee shops, there's a lot of funky art, but it doesn't take you anywhere. It's because there's no balance of high grace and high law Jesus came to fulfill the law not to abolish it that is not what our church communicates today so the victorious Christian is high grace and high law so Christians that exercise the highest level of grace and law demonstrate the highest levels of number one new covenant living number two proper response to authority you cannot have proper response to authority without high law it's impossible to have a lawless society is is to have a society without authority to have a church of Laodicea you have to have a church without leadership it's that simple They also, in victorious Christian living, by having high grace and high law, is that we are able to maintain long-term victory. Why? because there are people in our lives that say, don't touch that. Don't believe that. Please choose this. So there's strong parental guidance with grace. And with that mixture, you have a strong possibility that this person is going to be a minister to others very quickly. Not giving them grace, but giving them law and grace. Jesus fulfilled the law. It's right here. This is how he did it. He fulfilled the law so that we we're able to be filled with grace so if he is the one that fulfilled the law and he is the one that lives inside of us then it is complete high law high grace here's what low grace and high law does this is someone that uses the Word of God in what used to be classified in the 80s as Bible thumping So when someone was wrong, being misled or whatever, they would pull the scriptures out and they'd say, but the Lord says right here, thou shalt not. And they use the law to change the person. When it comes to grace, not a whole lot of that going on. Grace does not mean ignoring sin. Paul made that very clear. Should I sin that grace may abound? He was basically communicating to the people, you guys aren't getting this. Grace is not ignoring sin. Grace is unmerited favor. So you have to have the favor of the Lord with high law. And if you don't appropriate what true grace is, here's what you get. You get a controlling Christian and this is Christians that exercised high levels of law while providing low levels of grace which it produces the worst results possible in the church and that is number one poor understanding of Christ within you what they're doing is they're focusing on one side of the cross like I did for many years that Jesus Christ died on the cross and then I picked up my Bible and started using my Bible from that day on like the law in order to understand the marriage between law and grace you have to embrace co-crucifixion you have to you have to get the full picture of what it is that's going on secondly the person becomes authoritarian so when you are tempted today to pigeonhole someone from high grace and high law to be legalistic, you are actually condemning victorious Christian living. So, since we live in a society that's postmodern, which is pointless, which is you can't guide and direct them, you can't tell anyone what to do then those who have the tendency to function in high grace and high law, true victorious Christians, will be accused of being here. So in order to find out the level of grace in in a human soul is you have to have relationship with them. You've got to figure out what favor of the Lord is upon them by being around them. But see, that's not how we judge people. We have the tendency to judge people in one category at a time. And I can promise you today, because of uh, years of ministers ministering to people for generations, that it will not work. The end result will be covert rebellion. Smiling while you have a knife in your back to stab them when you walk away then this person is actually going to defy authority because when you start pressing in on someone like this they're gonna accuse you of being high law and in reality they're the ones that are the perfectionist this category i'm describing to you right now are perfectionist they are high law they've got to have everything in order They've got to have their P's and Q's, all the dots and jittles in place. They are perfectionists because they claim that they're high grace. But honestly, the only people they grace is the people they love. The people they don't care for that much, they don't grace them. They beat them to death with their standards so that they can keep them away from them so they don't have to deal with the difference of standards. That's postmodernism. Then, finally, they use rules to actually change their own behavior. So here's what this person does: they get up in the morning and they have to have devotions. And they usually say, to you on a day that didn't go so well, which I'm not sure what that means because every day is the same to the Lord. Every day. There's no bad days. There's no good days. There's no healthy days and unhealthy days. There's just every day is a new day. It's a day of the Lord. But see, these people, when they get up in the morning, <coughs> they have to beat themselves with guidelines. They've got their little checklist that they've got to get through. Sometimes it's just in their mind. And they use the word of God like it's some kind of aspirin. Finally, brethren, rejoice Okay got to rejoice finally brethren rejoice and be made complete be comforted be like-minded live in peace Okay. Oh Lord please please burn this scripture into my mind you know what that is evidence that you have absolutely no clue of this oh you may have read the books about this just because you have 200 exchange life books in your library and five translations of the Bible does not make you a great theologian. It doesn't give you the prerogative to understand the exchange life. Just because you have the tools doesn't make you a mechanic. And these people read scriptures like there's some kind of pill. And Jesus is saying, Stephen. My life is inside you. When you read the word, it bears witness with what is all already been done. finished. Stephen, do you not understand that the word "finished means made complete. It's done. No. I've got to work, people. I've got to get them to change their behavior so I feel better. I've got to get them to follow my rules so I don't get depressed and pout. I will, But you try to confront a person like this and they'll bolt faster than a bolt of lightning. Because they cannot be pinned down by the law because they are people of grace. Try to raise a child in that environment. You'll spoil them rotten. Grace is not the answer. It is not. And if you've heard anyone teach you that, they're teaching you wrong. The fulfillment of the law for the purpose of embrace grace is the reason for the season. You have to have the full law complete. Him put in you. He fulfills the law through you and it's through the favor of God that you live. By grace we live. And if this sounds all a bit complicated to you, that is another confession. And it's okay to admit that because I still weep and cry as I put these messages of the exchange life together. Because they are so profoundly simple, I complicate them with my own flesh. Here. My own darkness. My own flesh is what complicates the simplicity of Christ Jesus now let's take a look at the next quadrant the next quadrant is low law and low grace now if you haven't noticed this is where we get our three forms of rebellion out of the four quadrants there's only one christian in the indwelt christian that has true life the other three are living in a form of rebellion now this person is a neglectful christian Christians that exercise both low degree of grace and low degree of law show the following: Number one: undisciplined life. I've always said, I like to open up someone's car and look inside, see what's on the floorboard. With guys' trucks, I always like to open up, pull the seat back and look what's behind the seat. I like to open people like to open people's trunk and see what's in the trunk. You see, neglectful Christians hide things. They have an external appearance where the outside of their truck is polished nicely, but the inside is an ungodly mess. I like to walk into children's bedrooms. If there's toys scattered everywhere and there's stuff hanging from the lamps and whatever, I can tell you exactly, after 37 years of ministry, I'm telling you, I can tell you exactly the kind of Christian they're going to be as an adult from their bedroom you can't lie through the extension of your hand you cannot lie what your hand does is what communicates the truth are you lazy are you proactive are you too proactive perfectionist this hand will not lie Number two is they ignore authority. They're not even bothered by hardcore tough messages like this. They, they can listen to these messages and some of our online listeners are listening right now and they are tempted right now to turn off this loud preacher. As I've gotten many emails saying. But you know what? I understand where they're at. They don't want to deal with authority, period. Period this person over here at least will fight it they'll defy it when you defy something you're saying it exists you understand that by giving emotion to something you say I love you when you say I hate you that is meaningful emotions that can be worked out but these people don't feel much they don't feel laughter they don't raise their hands in worship they're just kinda blah some people call them in the world of psychobabble they call them depressed they're neglectful they don't get up in the morning and make their beds they don't put the dishes away and wash them and dry them and put them in the cupboard before they leave for work they're just, they're just blah why? because they do not subject themselves To authority, period. It doesn't exist. When they come in in contact with authority figure, and the authority figure is being real strong in their life, like a boss or pastor or whoever, they kind of look at them like this: "Are you done? I know more children like that than I want to admit to. Are you done?" This is the church of Laodicea. They're neglectful of the truths that literally God sacrificed his own son to have him pay that price and go to the pit of hell and calculate the consequences of every single sin you've ever committed so that you can have the favor of God, the grace of God. And we treat it like it's some kind of Clever idea. Interesting thought. An idea that should be debated in our schools of thought. Hell's gates are open wide. And this group are directly in the pathway of the gates of hell. They just don't care. You can get as strong as you want. You can find dynamic. I've got preachers that I listen to online and offline that are absolutely of the anointing of God and I'm shaken to my core listening and then there's others that can listen to the same preacher teacher and go what's up with him why is he getting so upset over sin there's a certain translation that removed five words out of the Bible in their new revision repentance sin Forgiveness. The crown of forgiveness. Do you realize that Satan has to remove the five points of salvation in order to dilute the church to be in Laodicean so it has zero impact on the world tomorrow. That's this group right here. The neglectful Christian. Since we are the church, last I remember, you can say victorious church, controlling church, Neglectful church, and now we have permissive church. Christians that exercise the highest level of grace, and they also exercise the lowest level of the law, have the following an undisciplined life, just like this category down here, because there's no law, fears authority figures and this person ignores authority figures so the reason why this is really the one of the worst categories right here is because this person here is just saying it doesn't exist this is the kid that runs back to his room puts on his headset and drowns his mind out by a spirit guide sound familiar some of our teenage years exactly what we are doing is drowning our minds out by a spirit guide you will serve a master every day of your life 24 hours a day you just have to tell me who that's all and these people here say no I don't I serve no one You try to convince them they're self-serving they go no not really I even deny myself. They're immovable. It's like trying to nail Jello to the cross. You see, Christ wants Steve Finney to be able to be nailed. You see, He wants me to feel that 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 nailing process, that dying daily process. He wants me to feel it, and these people can't feel co-crucifixion, nor can these. Fears, authority figures, victory when they feel good, and ministers to others when they're in the mood. They're not compelled to minister, they're compelled to have a lifestyle first. Then they have a ministry through their lifestyle instead of being compelled to minister like these people are here under Victorious Church. Please keep in mind these diagrams are online. Please go to our website, go to our download page, and print off the PDF. Okay. Let's take a look at a different angle, the backside of this perspective of law and grace. Now what we have in front of us, at the top of the diagram, we have high relationship. And at the bottom of the diagram, we have low relationship. To the left, we have low task. To the right we have high task. Now high relationship and high task. Which is what Jesus Christ is. High relationship. High task. Faith without is dead. I can assure you Satan is trying to dilute that verse. And the way you dilute something is you put too much of something else in it. It totally ruins the recipe. Ruins the formula. So let's put high relationship and and not so much task. Faith without works is dead. That is a perfect blending. Faith without works, the cross is impotent. And may Satan shudder at his footprints on that statement because... God knows and we know through the scriptures of Jesus Christ that it takes a perfect fulfillment of law and grace and a perfect fulfillment of task and relationship to truly appropriate this picture of co-crucifixion. Paul was driven to tell that message. And I heard it loud and clear thanks to my mentor. Active Christian, high relationship, low high task. This Christian understands faith without works is dead. Loves those around him or her. Motivates people to change through loving them. And uses faith to bring about change. When someone comes to you, which is the common reason you want to minister to someone. And they're in trouble. All they're confessing to you is, I don't believe this. I I don't understand. How is, how am I crucified with Christ, but it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live. I live by the, what is it? It's faith. But it isn't our faith. Any person that has to grab a hold of their own faith is a prosperity doctrine Christian. Name it, and claim it, stab it, and slab it. That is not what the scripture says. The scripture says that it is his faith. By his faith. I cannot believe this unless I embrace his faith which becomes my faith my measurement but it's his faith so you see without faith in here it's pointless and without works in here it's pointless and a church that focuses more on faith is a stab it and slab it plain and simple It has to be a wonderful blend between high relationship and high task. Now, let's look at the quadrant below that. This is the doing Christian, the perfectionist. This, in counseling, is the worst type of person to counsel because they're already checking all their boxes. So using the law on them is ridiculous. If you use the law on them, by the way, they accuse you of being legalistic. So that's why someone confronting them from here, confronting this person, you're the legalistic one. Them not realizing that out of their own judgment, they shall be judged, and they're the ones that are confessing I'm bound to my own rules and regulations. It's a trap. This person is the worst person to counsel. In fact, I'm not sure they can be counseled. This Christian functions under the premises of works which produces or increases my faith. Let me go back to a practical example. Okay, I am studying the word of God to show myself that I can handle accurately the word of truth. And I'm studying, I'm having my devotions, I buy my devotional books, and I'm I, I just studying and studying and studying. The external to change the internal. And I've never read a scripture yet that says Jesus Christ needs to be educated. Never read that. I've never read that Jesus changes people from the outside to the inside. So as long as I get to know this, it's going to go in here and change me. They do not understand that the word of God indwells them and lives within them. And this is to bear witness with what it is. Well, this kind of Christian says, no, no, no. In order to increase my faith I must read more I must study more I must memorize more external to internal I can't even begin to tell you how many times I have wept over thinking about the number of people that are going to go to hell who think that's life this is life to be co-crucified with Christ He fulfills the law. He comes inside me and lives in me. And he lives out the law through me. I don't do anything to enhance that. You burn my Bible and I still... (coughs) I still have the victorious Christian life to live. Burn all my devotional books. And I've got a few favorite ones. I'm not against books. I'm not against education. I'm against people use them for transformation. That's what I'm against. And we live in a society today that is literally bound by that thought. They are also, will use guilt to motivate people. So when you're talking to them, they just have these guilt statements. Or they have kind of like a, a look on their face like, I don't like you. And... I'm holding you guilty. And you're not doing to please me. What they don't realize is they're actually saying to the person, I'm God. Don't you realize that? I, I'm God. And you need to change your life for me. And make me happy. No. I'm afraid Christ is not going to get behind that. Postmodern thought you want people to be sick and depraved and upset and, and 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 in trouble you want them to be honest where they're at so that you can reach out to them not say will you just clean up your act and then come to me and i'll have a relationship with you you want them you want them to be free to be a mess Well, most Christians can't even go into churches today to be free, to be a mess. I got an email this week from one of our researchers, and I would definitely classify this researcher as one who uh, does due diligence and making sure that the information is correct. In fact, I followed it up and found out that it was correct. And there is one particular pastor who uh, has been classified emergent Uh, through the Christian Church who said in the news and it was an actual news article that I no longer believe that homosexuality is necessarily a sin. Saddleback is one of the most influential churches in the entire world and that one statement you guys need to pray about this I'm serious you need to pray about this He supervises, Saddleback supervises over 3,000 churches. And most of them are rapidly growing churches. That one statement from their leader is going to shake the foundation and move that church in a theology that is so lucrative that it will flow quickly to society. And they're Southern Baptists that's a supposedly a conservative denomination now I'll tell you what's going to happen people are going to support their churches are going to support their leaders because they have put their hope and faith in something other than the truth that sets people free now thankfully I'm in dialogue with this particular leader through text messaging he doesn't respond real well to a lot of the stuff I sent him but I used to work with him in Washington and I'm hoping God reopens the relationship there so I'm not saying I give up on this leader not by any measure I'm just telling you the truth our church is in trouble you're beginning to see these other three types of churches and God is separating the true church from these other three types of rebellious churches they are workaholics, these people are. They they the hurts, they hurt those actually who get in their way, and they use people to accomplish their to-do list. Low task and low relationship. Here's what we get. This Christian doesn't understand the importance of faith of works, so they're kind of a loner, they're lazy, they hide their sin, and they avoid groups. In fact, if you have a feeling When you're in a group of being really uncomfortable, then this is something you need to be thinking about. How much of this laxadaisy, lazy Christian mentality am I suffering with? You see, these people over here do have the tendency to want to be in groups, but they like to have control of the group and they like the interaction. Obviously, they love perfectionism in its finest points and that is working it out now no one can be pigeonholed in just one of these we really suffer with all of them and we experience the joy and goodness with the primary so don't walk away today from this message thinking you're in one of these and that's how you've been pigeonholed and you're, you're doomed and that's just the way it is no, these are the three aspects of rebellion that Satan uses to creep into our lives so that the church does not function like this you see when I send out a text to a leader like that and say quote unquote what God says about homosexuality and says homosexuals do not enter the kingdom of God please respond well we're either gonna get a no response or we're going to get justification. See, then I can have an understanding of where that particular tr- Christian is tendency to live and function. So I know how to minister to them. You minister to these people differently in each category. This person, you can take and mold them, make them, grow them, set them up as leaders in the church, and release them in Christ's name. They're so easy to work with. I will get out of bed 24 hours a day to go help someone like that. Because they take, they eat, they grow, they give it away. These people here take so much work. They're supposed to. (laughs) Because that's what ministry is. They're not all the faithful few that Paul was talking to Timothy about. So, they're loner, lazy, hide their sin, and avoid groups. Final category, high relationship, low task. This Christian talks a lot about their faith, but rarely does anything about it. Why? Because they're low task. Therefore, they live off of the faith of others. Two, it measures how they are doing by what others say about them. three, is overly merciful with others. And when you hear them say something like, well, I have the gift of mercy. And if you want to get me on a high horse, you think I'm on my high horse today talking about the power of co-crucifixion, get me on this soapbox. When people use spiritual gifting to liquidate the power and sting of the cross, you're going to have me preach. I don't care where I'm at. No gift reduces the power of the gospel. It enhances it. So even mercy is to be used with high relationship and high task. And a mercy person will say, not going to do it. Because they interpret high task as rejection. Well, what should we do then? Old Covenant task is slow death. All we're trying to do is to slow death down in the Old Testament. Can you tell me, someone quickly tell me, what the market would look like two years from today if Shannon and Deborah decided never to pick up a rag or broom or to move things around, or to replace things in this market. Someone tell me what this room's going to look like. Janet? It would look a lot like our house. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a confession. <laughs> Should I step out of the way? You have the uglies of the dark side creeping up when there is no order. You have the uglies of the dark side creeping up when there is disarray and chaos. You have the creepiness of the dark side Coming in and taking over because someone has chosen not to be high relationship and high task. You talk to your average business owner and they'll go, duh. But you bring it into parenting, you bring it into their marriage, you bring it into church authority, you bring it into these other places, and for some reason we get this postmodern art thrown at us. Isn't that a funky looking design? And I look at it and I go, well, it's pointless. What is it? Well, it's whatever you want it to be. Don't you see? Don't you see the arc of the the sun creating rays that you, and they go into this whole thing? And you're like, it's bent metal. It's pointless." See, Satan always presents something for your interpretation, not for him to force his interpretation on you. He's been waiting for the postmodern generation to show up for a long, long time. So when someone shares the stringent conviction of truth from the Gospels, they will say it's pointless. Well, we're already there, folks. It's not coming tomorrow. We're already there. You're going to hear confessions on, in the news and you're going to hear, see books being written on Jesus' sexuality to, to whatever because it's pointless. Nothing has a point anymore. The only point of the church is to love the people. Too much love is hatred. So task, slowing death down relationship under the new covenant speeds life up. It's very active. It's very alive. It's like sharp, sharper than a sword. It can divide the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow, able to judge every thought and intention of the heart. Task on the old covenant side equals relationship. In other words, if I work, then I get relationship. Daddy's doing a job. When I get the job done, I'll have relationship with you. I was raised like that. I know that we just came out of a generation of a fatherless generation, but I was raised that way. Work first, relationship second. On the New Covenant side, it's relationship equals serving others. Old Covenant, task equals doing to be. New Covenant, relationship equals being to do. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ that lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave his life up for me. That appropriated brings us being now we can do. So doing as a result of who we are, not the other way around. Task equals. Old covenant, earn relationship. If you're nice to me, you treat me nice, you do this, you do that, I will grant you the privilege to have relationship with moi. Guys, all that is sin is that I am God. I need to be worshipped. People who pout are people who are confessing to be God worship me change your life for me or I will pout I'm not sure Christ will go for that relationship in the new covenant is unconditional I don't care how you act I'm a mess okay so you're a mess let's work it out together it's work unconditionally old covenant task is to do to get Now, these covert types of perfectionists have a little track record in their black spiritual black books, and they remember for years and don't let things go. Whereas New Covenant people, relationship equals to get, to give it away. Which is really the basis of the book we just got released this past week on finances in the end time. The whole goal of finances to start with is to give it away. Not to build a lifestyle to have your faith work through the lifestyle. Old covenant, task means making deals. New covenant, relationship equals no deal making. You try to make a deal with a new covenant person, they're like, that's what's pointless. I don't want to swing a deal with you, I want to be with you. Task equals stealing fruit. These are Walmart plastic fruit people, folks. They, they spend their money on glue guns, plastic fruit, and plastic branches. And they get the glue guns out, and they glue these uh, branches on, and they glue this fruit. I don't know about you, but I've seen some real good fake fruit the past few years. Man, they have perfected the art of fake fruit. And so, in fact, most fake fruit that's done right looks better than real fruit. And that's our society. That's the postmodern society is that we become such artistic in our flesh that we glue on this fruit and then we go into the church and we go into society and say, look, I'm fruitful. And we know that there's not a seed in any of those pieces of fruit that can multiply a dog, let alone a human life. So New Covenant is relationship is bearing fruit fruit is just a result you don't pray about it every day you don't preach it every day you don't do devotions about it it is fruit is a result how many people do you know that go out lay hands on their tree their their fruit tree here in Kansas it's pears and you hear the Christian doing this Oh, dear Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would cause the fruit to bear forth on this tree. I pray, and you're listening carefully here if the grunting has started yet. Lord Jesus, please. You see, the emphasis is on the fruit. Why? So you can make a pear pie. It's for you. No. Take care of the tree. Be responsible. Sweep the floors, wash the counters. Keep your Bible put away. Be just just order. And all of a sudden you're going to notice one day that, "Hey honey, look. We got little pears on our tree." We won't be shocked. We'll be blessed. Big difference. Finally, we have this. Old Covenant task equals wanting acceptance. New Covenant relationship giving acceptance. Task on the Old Covenant side fights for victory. And New Covenant relationship appropriates victory that has already occurred. Old Covenant task rewards self. You deserve a break today, so go out and get away. You know, you worked hard all week long don't want to give all your money away to bills so you reward yourself relationship rewards others old covenant task place is placed on rules new covenant relationship equals enjoys being ruled that's the authority issue task on the old covenant side acquires debt new covenant relationship is debt-free that's the whole point of this task generates results on Old Covenant side and New Covenant side relationship equals demonstrates the results Demo straight is to act out what already is you already have your final product Old Covenant task is in bondage relationship New Covenant freed in Christ Jesus there is no bondage James 4.11. This is the verse that we're closing on. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law. Okay. Jesus just fulfilled the law on the cross. Speaks against Jesus. Jesus came the first time. He says... I'm not here to judge well here's the problem folks we have built a church on that statement I'm not here to judge you homosexual okay I'm not here to judge it wrong The full gospel of Jesus Christ is the first coming and the second coming. The second coming comes with fire in his eyes, a drawn sword, and he's coming to judge absolutely the entire world from Adam to that moment. And guess who gets to help with the judgment? You do. A thousand years worth. You will assist in the judgment with Jesus Christ, being the one with the mallet in his hand, sitting behind that judgment table, and he will judge every single human that has ever lived on every single sin committed. The Christians that are indwelt by his Holy Spirit, because of this, will be redeemed. Not one sin will be held against them. Every other Christian that called themselves Christian because of one of those three categories, they think they're Christian because they have checked off the boxes, may not find what they thought they were going to find on that day. They may be surprised. And they're going to respond to Jesus by saying, saying, but wait a minute I preached in your name I casted out demons in your name I did miracles in your name and Jesus' response to that is be gone from me for I know you not ministry and fancy churches and music and agendas mean nothing to Christ nothing when someone says to me look how fast that church is growing Jesus is obviously in that I go "Uh, actually I'm going to think the opposite of that Until I get time to talk to the leader and find it. You see? Growth does not mean a healthy tree. Well, what's the purpose of judgment? To make a proclamation guilty. There's no judgment in heaven after this is all over. Please show me somebody. Show me the scripture of that. After the thousand year reign, which takes a thousand years to complete this judgment process, someone please show me in the scriptures that judgment is even necessary. You see, judgment is for the purpose of saying, you're going to hell. That's called raka in the Greek. If you say raka to your brother, this is Matthew 5, you are guilty enough to be thrown into the fiery pit of hell. That is a quote unquote. Raka is go to hell. You are saying when you judge your brother, go to hell. But what if they're an indwell believer? (laughs) Who are you assaulting? What you do unto the least of these, my brethren? You do unto me. If you're judging people, you better stop soon. And that, and that I know, that I know is coming from the spirit of the living God. You stop now. And don't fall into passivity of Laodicean. Which means, oh, everything's about relationship. No, you maintain that balance, but you do not slam the hammer on a human being. You have not been given that prerogative. He is the hammer slammer on those thousand years. We just assist in the judgment process. So I look at this a little more seriously than some. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks against the law, speaks against Christ, and judges Christ. Can, can you imagine judging him? How dare we judge one another when he's saying you're judging me as the son of God? How arrogant can we be? But if you judge the law, you are not doing, you're not a doer of Christ, the law, but a judge of of Christ. If this scripture does nothing to you, I will pray for you. That's it. My soul is so sick of the excuses that Christians use to gossip about each other, pout with each other, judging each other, which is judging Christ. Satan has conveniently thrown this message of co-crucifixion to the wind. And everything is about love, 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 peace, 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 joy, joy, joy. And they're gluing on fruit on people inside these buildings that are simply insulting the very life of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that each of us, all of us, Father, people listening in India, people listening in Africa, Father, our new Russian uh, people that are listening to our messages, I pray, Father, that everyone you have hearing this message from any teacher and preacher of yours would embrace the power of the cross, would be transformed from inside out. And God, when we dare to open our mouths in judgment, may we be corrected by you and you alone. I thank you, Father, for the truth you've given us. I thank you, God, for the inspiration of the scripture. I thank you, God, for you being the word. Jesus, you becoming the word. Holy Spirit, you reminding us of the word and then putting it inside our mortal bodies. You're King of kings, Lord of lords, and we reckon you to be truth. And Father, this we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. And a a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus pack.